0: Today is 18 June, well, June 18th, 2020. And y'all would not believe it, that 30 years ago today was when I joined the Army. Man, it seems such like a long time ago. Um, But yeah, it was 30 years ago today that I joined the Army. I left uh, Detroit, Michigan, and I boarded the bus downtown Detroit and headed to Fort Littlewood, Missouri, where I learned hand-to-hand combat, how to fire a weapon, drill and ceremony, shine boots, and put 45-degree angles on my bunk. But also I learned another important task too, because that year it was 1990. That's the same year they had Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So while I was in basic training, I still had to go to my advanced individual training. Well, I had my advanced individual training at Fort Lin- Fort Eustis, Virginia, I'm sorry. And there was another eight or nine weeks of training. So 16 weeks that I was training. And then in December of 1990 is when I actually went to war. I was in the Gulf War. 18 years old, 1990. Fighting for my country. But one thing about it with this podcast today uh on dedicate this to and is inspired by my cousin James Harrison he has a podcast called Eight More Than Ninety Two and he guest starred on there his podcast my other cousin Landon Sarazine and they brought a very good point about one thing you can't mind and for me it was the rules of engagement. Here it is, I was a trained soldier on how to defend myself, hand-to-hand combat. I was an expert in weapons, the M-16. I also had a wep- an expert in weapons and grenades. And with that being said, you talking about from June, of six months, from June until December, When I went over to the war. That was a period of six months. And even after a period of six months. I still had to. Adhere to what was called. Rules of engagement. And those of you who are not. Don't have a military background. That's certain criteria. That had to be met before we'll draw our weapon and use deadly force against any combatant. Here it was, I was in the war. And although I felt threatened by the people around me, the foreigners around me, I could not use my weapon because I was scared. Not because I was threatened, because I was scared. And even if I was threatened, if they were not coming at me, gangfully coming at me, or they did not have a weapon themselves, I had to use hand-to-hand combat or non-lethal ways to restrain them. But that seems to have all changed when you think of the local police department. And the local principalities that have police officers that whatever training they go through, that they still, they can use deadly force because they think they are the law. I beg to differ. I can even think about a time that when I was in Somalia in 1992, 93, out in Somalia, the port of Mogadishu. We, uh, myself, Sergeant Strong, and a good friend of mine, Durant. We all went out for a patrol or a mission we had to do in town. And one thing about while we we're in town, it was kids in town, and I tell you something, it was very different and it was scary. They didn't have weapons, but boy, were they a threat. So one time we, I think we were a or misled because we had these um, meals ready to eat called MREs. And as we were driving, we were throwing food, the packets of MREs, to the little children in the neighborhood. All of a sudden, one became two, two became three, and before we knew it, it seems like a whole mini village was behind us. And with that being said, um, the car ended up, the Humvee we're in ended up being surrounded by people. And the driver that day was starting strong. We said, starting strong, keep going, keep going, keep going. He stopped, he put on the gas. And when he put on, he stopped and put on the brakes. And when he put on the brakes, one of the smiling kids jumped in the back of the Humvee with us. He grabbed the case of MREs we had by the straps of the thing, fell back, hit the dirt, and took off running with flip-flops on. Man, you talking about something that was scary, having someone jump in your vehicle with you. Um, that you knew were a potential threat. But because of the rules of orders that we had, the rules of engagement that we had, we could not use any kind of deadly force or any force amongst them because we deemed our life was not threatened. Although we were scared, our life was not threatened at the time. And with that being said, I can't help but to think about the gentleman in Atlanta that lost his life because he fell asleep, drunk in a Wendy's drive-through. the police officer woke him up pulled his the side. it seems as if they had a conversation and yes his blood out content was higher and then they said he was under arrest he began to tussle and then he ended up getting a hold of one of the police officers stun guns or whatever you want to call it And he got his tas- hold of his taser. And now that he have a hold of his taser, he begins to run. And as the man ran, he was shot by another police officer. Now, here is I told you about that me being a soldier in the United States Army. It was six months before I went to war. I don't know how long these men had been on the police force. But I do know someone running away from you with a taser is a non lethal weapon and they're no longer posing a threat. So, how is it that a civilian, a police officer, can draw his firearm and shoot someone that's not a threat or not appear to be a threat? but someone who defends your country every day, day in and day out, have more extensive rules to go by. And if if myself or Durant at that time, or anyone knew we've been tried with a war crime and locked up and I've never got to see my 30 years. But as of this making of this video, this podcast today, I hear that they have charged the officer with murder. But was he charged with murder because they had a video? And is this the norm of what the police officer do because they're scared? Let me tell you something about this. I do know about a taser. Is that for a taser to really operate, has to make contact with the skin. And the probability of that man running with a taser and shooting in the direct police officer of them hitting to a point and engaging it where it can incapacitate him was very slim. Because the directory of it when shooting it out is a problem. And then number two The police officers not only were equipped with body cam, but they also have body armor. So, the taser would not even penetrate The officer's chest, stomach, or the area center mass where normal people would shoot. And then also the officer already had the man's, address the keys to his car his name and everything where could he go was it all about pride and not saying you're beat because you lost a foot race or because you used improper procedure when trying to arrest someone i don't get it i don't get it joe but it still hurts and it pains me. The fact that people have so many opinions regarding what's right and what's wrong and how they see fit. And for the African-American male, it's always what we should have did and what we could have did to prevent that from happening. What could the other person did prevent it? They don't want the training. They're the experts in the field. What could they could have done? Y'all. I think about my son every day. And I had these worries about him. But I can tell you something. That my worries have not left. Because my son is gone. My worries have just shifted too. Other African-American males in the whole country. My son died so that not only he can send a message to the world, so, but so that his dad can give you all guys the love the attention you need. And my worries now are focused on you and myself. The country we live in right now, it doesn't seem fair. Or just in the hands of others in an African-American or anyone of color. But the tides have turned and they are turning. And I want people to know there are great people out here in America. All black people are not bad, but black lives do matter.